You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. And gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that air. Man, oh boy, oh boy, oh, we got an early alarm. What up there, telephone? That nothing really messes up the flow like your alarm going off right at the intro. That just, that kills it. But we are, uh, I want to say 24 hours away, but that's technically factually incorrect, but I, I think I'm going to say it anyways. I don't know why I'm stuck on that, but I want to. It's tomorrow. The game is tomorrow. I don't know how and why it's even possible that I am simultaneously not ready and also tired of waiting. Like, I really want to do this, but I just, it's like, maybe we could wait. If we could do it today and also next month, that'd be great. Because on, on one hand, I really feel like the Packers are the better team. At home, like, this this is not the big... Next week will be the bigger task. I can envision myself saying, look, man, we did it, and I want to say that we proved something here, but, you know, I think maybe we were a little bit overhyped. The real test is going to be, you know, Tampa or New Orleans, maybe. If it's, if it's Tampa, it's definitely a test. If it's New Orleans, there's a couple outs for us. But at the same time, it's like, dude, our season might be over tomorrow. I can't handle that. Like, I'm not mentally or emotionally prepared for the reality that within, let's call it 48, I might have to wake up on Sunday with football going on and a podcast. I in a, I might have to talk on this podcast about the season is officially over. I mean, at least then I get to talk about the draft. But I, I'm just guessing if I start doing that too early, people are really going to get mad. So, I, you know, we got to do the whole morning thing for a week. I don't want to do that. And then I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of fire petting talk. Because if they win, they got to score, what, at least 20. And people are not going to be okay with that. I'm sure they're going to run the ball a lot if they win. And they, you know, it's, it's I just, I can't. They have to win. They just have to win tomorrow. There, there's no, it's not an option to lose. Um, it's also interesting, every time we come up against a new, somewhat unfamiliar fan base, learning a little bit about that fan base, these guys are cocky, man. It's funny how everybody kind of has their own identity. You know, like, Vikings fans are, what are, what's the right word for a Vikings fan? Sort of, like, moody. You know, kind of like a, a, a teenager. It's not even about being right anymore. It's just about, I want to hurt your feelings. Like, yeah, we lost. Well, guess who broke your quarterback's collarbone? Ha, 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 Your quarterback is soft. Da, da. Nah, 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 nah. Bears fans honestly don't even bother me anymore. Like, they, they used to, but I feel like they're so beat down. They hate their own team more than I hate their team. And so I've, I've kind of built up a respect for Bears fans. And this it's not... I'm, I'm lumping everybody together, which you're not supposed to do, but I don't care. I have no problem with, with stereotyping. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. As long as you don't actually try to apply it to each individual person, you can look at a group and get an idea of what that group's about. People in Wisconsin like cheese. That's a stereotype. It's also largely true of the group. Relax. People get so freaked out about stereotypes. It's like anything else. You can use it in a bad way. I don't use it in a bad way. I don't. Packer fans are spoiled. It's true. Is every Packer fan spoiled? No. But we are, I mean, I have, whew, talk about a fan base I have lost a massive amount of respect for. It's my own. 
incredible year this year, and it has been nothing but complaining. Crazy. I'm trying to think. There were some other fan bases, too, that were just like, this is weird. Like, it's just it's just a different mentality depending on who you go up against. But that's what I've noticed about Rams. They're just cocky. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm confused when I have interactions with Rams fans on Twitter because it's like, do you realize you're seven-point underdogs? They don't know. They don't know that. I'm just, I'm, I'm just confused when I go through Twitter. And I think Packer fans. I don't know if it's just because LA fans are just more forceful in the way that they do it. Packer fans are on the defensive on Twitter. Like, guys, we're the favorites. We're the number one seed in this game. Stop acting like we're the underdogs. Trying to tell me like this. This was our best case scenario. Like going through Green Bay. So like, you guys are stupid. You're telling me this actual interaction I had on Twitter. You're telling me best case scenario is to go on the road to Lambeau Field in January against Aaron Rodgers when he is playing the best season of his career and they are the number one offense, the number one seed. And by the way, Vegas does not agree with you. You are seven-point underdogs. I mean, it's just, I I don't know, I mean, you know, I mean, there's always a clash. There's always a fight, but it's just always kind of interesting how that fight breaks down based on the personalities of the fan. I think it's interesting. I mean, yeah, it's it's an argument, but it's also just kind of, I mean, it's it's fun. It's just for fun. Sometimes it becomes not for fun and people get to be a little too over the top, you know? But, uh, yeah, interesting. I don't think there's a lot of Rams fans, but the ones that exist are just super arrogant. I think Bills fans are... Some fan bases, like I, I respect Browns fans because they're successful and it's like they're they're so grateful to be where they are. Bills fans, which I was surprised by because I've been to Buffalo, great people that I met there, but they're acting like they've been great for 50 years. I mean, they're acting like Cowboys. They're like the opposite of Cowboys fans. Cowboys fans pretend they're great even though they haven't been great in the last decade, two decades, five decades. I don't know. It's been, I was like six months old. I don't know. <laughs> it, was, it was forever ago. Back when we won, you know, two Super Bowls ago. Back with Brett Favre and whatnot. And they're still acting like they're bad. Buffalo's good for the first time pretty much, I mean, almost my lifetime. It was like early 90s. And they're acting like they've been great all along. I don't know, it's just it's just interesting. Somebody should write like a, somebody should do a thing on that. Personality profiles on all 32 teams. I should get a, uh, I always get these guys confused. Psychologist? Not a psychiatrist. That's not it. I don't know. Just or Just a board 20-year-old could do it, I guess, would be fine. I just figure a lot of people in those certain fields don't have a lot of jobs, so they might have uh, might have something to do. <laughs> I'm rude today. I don't know why. I don't know. It's it's like a good rude, though. It's not like when I'm in a bad mood. It's like, I'm going to say stuff that's offensive because I feel like we're close, you know? Like, this is how I talk to only my best friend. If I like you, I'm going to tell you you are stupid. If I'm generally polite to you, we're probably not good friends. So if I'm making fun of you on the podcast, it's because I like you. Um, some other good news. The um, the ultimate jinx, the Mr. Pessimist, as I have called him on this show, has declared, as I've said, the Packers are going to lose, which means we are going to win. Also, he has been really hammering the Jay Sternberger as a bust thing. Turns out he's going to he may be playing. I don't know if he's going to get the job over Dominique Daphne uh, in terms of a start. But uh, I would encourage the Packers to play Jace because I just feel like, based on all the negativity that I've been hearing about Jace, I think he's about to have a breakout game. So, something to consider. Because if Jace does not play well by the end of his career, that will be the first time that Mr. Negative has been right about a single thing this year. Anyway, something I have not done this entire time 
mostly because it's pretty much, I mean, everything's pretty big news, so I feel like everyone's up to date. But I want to go over the injury report. For the Green Bay Packers, there's really nothing as you would expect. I am a little surprised after all that time Kingsley Kiki's still not good to go. He didn't practice this whole week. Uh, I would basically say there's no chance he's going to play. His game status is doubtful. May as well just call him out because I, I just, even if, you know, let's say he does a, I don't know what they do. If you've been out two, three weeks, however long he's been out with a concussion, I don't know if they're just going to do a sideline, follow my finger test, and then throw him out there. You know, I just, it, I think he's he's out. Otherwise, everybody's pretty good to go. You had Kevin King was limited with an Achilles. Alan Lazard still has that core slash wrist injury, so he's been limited. I, maybe that's just, I think a lot of these guys just have, at this point in the season, lingering things. Like, I, I've, I've had a shoulder injury for months. All I did was play football with my son. And it was one of those things where it was kind of like, you know, my shoulder kind of hurt a little bit, and it kept getting worse for like a week. And by the end of the month, it was like, dude, I can't lift my arm. Like, <laughs> it just kept getting worse. And I've never actually done anything to, to make it get better. And of course, I sleep on my right side. So it really, I think every night I make it worse by sleeping on it. And I have to sleep on my side. I can't sleep on my back. Plus, I watch The Office. So, like, I can't. I've tried laying on my back and just turning my head and looking at it, but that sucks. That's not good. But anyways, I think, again, I think these guys are just going to have lingering issues issues until the season's over. This isn't going to go away. They're not going to come off the injury report. Alan Lazard has had this core slash wrist injury pretty much the entire half, second half of the season. Mercedes, I don't, he's going to have probably lingering issues the rest, <laughs> the rest of his life. That's not, it's not funny, but you know, realistically, he's, he's, he's got pains, dude. He's playing tight. He's not just playing football in his late thirties. He's playing tight end. That's, that's crazy, man. Sidarius ankle thumb, limited all week, should be fine. Equinemius knee ankle, limited all week, should be fine. Rick Wagner, limited all week with a knee, should be fine. Jared Valdir, obviously not going to play. Um, it was reported yesterday that he actually told the Packers that he had some symptoms, and so they tested him, and that's when it came back positive. So uh, th- there's not going to be a uh, test that comes back and says false positive. Also, one of the things that uh, I was worried about that I have since been not worried about that I think we can that everybody should know if you don't already know, one of the things I had posted on Twitter was that I, I had no faith in contact tracing because I know firsthand what contract tracing is. I got a phone call saying, hey, somebody said they were, somebody had a positive test and they were near you. Uh, Can you tell me about what happened? And I told them, and then they told me I had to stay home from work. And then I went and got a negative COVID test after like getting a free week off. It was pretty sweet on my end, but the point is the whole process was basically self-reporting right if if that guy hadn't told them specifically hey i was in contact with these people and i hadn't confirmed yes i was near this person then nothing would have happened so when they said that you know the contract tracers or whatever went around and and confirmed that he wasn't near anybody it's like well how do you know how do you know they didn't meet up somewhere like these are old friends they could have went out and got a drink together and then you know the contract tracers come by and they're like hey did you uh, happen to get together by breaking pro covid protocol and go hang out with valdir and they're like no i didn't and then of course when a positive test comes back they're like what that's crazy i swear i wasn't one thing i've learned because some people were kind of like laughing at me in the comments to my post even though they didn't really elaborate they're just like yeah dude they have tracers like i know they have tracers that's what a person is that gets on the phone i looked it up they have physical devices that they have to wear like ankle bracelets except i think they're watches that physically track where you are. Now, they, they 
there's I, th I believe there's two parts to this. Number one is when you come within six feet of somebody, it starts blaring, saying, hey, you're within six feet, back up. So if you're at practice and you get near somebody, you're going to start hearing an alarm go off and you step back. So even if you're thinking like, well, maybe somebody I accidentally, whatever, no, because as soon as you get within six feet, this thing starts blaring and everybody turns and looks at you. So you can't just be like, well, just, you know, we're just by each other for a minute. No, you immediately jump back. But beyond that, there's actual tracking. So they'll be able to see who was where and they'll be able to track Valdir and say, hey, was he near anybody? I mean, this is this is assuming a couple things, right? It's assuming the second he showed up, they slapped this wrist thing on him. It's also assuming that you can't just take it off and set it down, right? I can't go back to my you know, my house or apartment or hotel room or whatever, set my little watch tracker down and then go down to the tavern with uh, my boys, you know, along the offensive line after we all leave our trackers in our rooms and pretend we're sleeping and go hang out for the night, right? We have to assume these things don't happen or can't happen, right? I'm guessing there's, I mean, I think my, uh, I got a Fitbit on. I'm pretty sure it knows when I take it off, right? So may, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know the technology well enough. Maybe they can see if you took it off at night. Probably be able to figure out if the entire offensive line happens to take their thing off at the same time that maybe something's going on. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just relaying the information that was a big relief for me personally. Although it's a little creepy, still, um, we can have faith that when they say that they ran the tracing or whatever, they didn't come near each other, that that's accurate. And it does sound like the Green Bay Packers are, are pretty strict about it. Um, not just the team, but the, the players have bought in, which is a good thing. It sounds like in general, if you look, if you read that uh, great article written by Robert Tunyon, um, there's a lot of buy-in, right? These guys, you know, they're, they, they kind of goof around, they have fun, whatever. But when it comes to football, they take this very seriously, right? Uh, I don't know exactly what exactly, exactly, exactly Jimmy Graham was talking about saying, you know, Chicago Bears only care about championships. It sounds to me like the Packers really care about championships. I don't know. I see the Bears talking about, you know, wanting to get out and Allen Robinson complaining about his contract and ex-Bears saying, I'll come back and play football, but not for the Bears unless they change their organization and all that stuff. So I'm not exactly sure what Jimmy's talking about. Maybe he was just being polite, considering the Packers were done with him and the Bears paid him a bunch of money. If you give me $10 million, I'll tell you that all you... I mean, if you could pay me $10 million right now. I'll give you my Venmo. I don't know if they take that much money. PayPal routing number to my bank. <laughs> and I will say literally anything you want. Putting that out there. By the way, if any of you happen to win that billion-dollar lottery, I hope you'll remember me. Did somebody win that? 16 hours ago, it did not. Six minutes ago, as the coronavirus pandemic continues, lottery jackpot pots top one billion. What are you talking about? Oh, combined. Get out of here with combined. Like, I'm going to win both at the same time, you dummy. Get out of my face. $750 million, though, that's no joke, man. You win that, you can call Aaron Rodgers poor. <laughs> that's some serious cash. Even after taxes, you got more money than that guy's made before taxes. I think. I don't know. I use the calculator. I don't know how true that is. Estimated cash value, $550.6 million. Whew. I'm just saying, I'm personally going to have a hard time winning because I have not bought a ticket. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to complain that I didn't win when I don't win. Because that's that's sort of a ritual that I have. Don't buy a ticket, don't win, and then say, Ah, why can't I ever win things like that? As for the L.A. Rams, um, Aaron Donald, I, I and listen, they said they took him off the injury report and all that. He was limited on Thursday. They didn't take, I don't know what that even means. Uh, he didn't practice Tuesday or Wednesday. He did practice in a limited fashion on Thursday. And then his game status is that he's good to go. So I'm not exactly sure what people are saying that they took him off the injury report. I don't know if they put something out that 
he wasn't injured or I don't I don't have no idea what what that means. But uh, dude's hurting. There's no question about it. A- again, he's gonna play. He's gonna play well. They're gonna put so many drugs in his system. He's not gonna feel a single thing until after the game when he is just in the worst pain of his life. But um, still, I, I again, I just the, the whole narrative that you know you guys are hyping this up too much. He's fine. He's not fine, dude. That's serious stuff. And we're talking about about football. You know how much like twisting and jerking and all the stuff that goes on with that. Think about like how even with, like with my shoulder. There are times I'll lift my arm the wrong way, and it's like, ah! Borderline fall to the floor like a baby. Like, dude, that hurts so bad. Why did I lift it that way? Or like I'm, you know, playing with the kids, and you don't think, and you just, like, jerk your arm around. It's like, I can't, I can't play this game. Because I can't not just react, you know? There's so much that he has to do. I mean, shedding a blocker. Think about what is required in that. If he has to even think a little bit about how, how to move his body... Which ways he can move his arm without hurting his ribs or twisting his core without hurting his ribs. He's not going to play very well. He can't think, so he just has to do what he does, which is going to jack his ribs up, man. Um, As for John Wolford, the quarterback is officially out. I I never really, I don't know, I guess some people were really thinking he was going to play and really worried about John Wolford. I never really felt like he was. I guess maybe I was, maybe I didn't realize how how serious that that actually was. But he's officially not going to play, so it's officially going to be Jared Goff. And um, he was full participant in practice, but obviously similar to Aaron Donald, he, he is going to have issues. He's still fairly recent off of, you know, thumb surgery. So, you know, when you listen to guys like Aaron Rodgers talk about, uh, even recently talking about how he had to adapt to the cold and just how the, the ball feels different and how it comes off the hand different. When you listen to football players, and this is the same reason I say things about Aaron Donald, the absolute precision of things, the way the hand moves, the arm moves, the elbow angle, everything is so precise. I mean, when you got a jacked up thumb and say your grip isn't quite the same, that, that absolutely 100% makes a difference. Like for me throwing a football, it probably wouldn't make a difference. Because I don't have any technique or form. Obviously, I hurt my shoulder playing catch with my son, who's, you know, 10 feet away from me. Obviously, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I'm guessing that shouldn't happen. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, cold, warm, I, the ball's going to come off the same for me either way because I don't have a certain technique that I use that's super precise, that's been drilled over and over and over and over and over, that little things like this will impact. So that, that does make a difference. You know, I, I just... People act like we were. this is overblown with the cold weather. It's overblown with the Jared Goff injury. It's overblown with the Aaron Donald injury. No, it's not. Um, on top of all that, maybe a uh, not-talked-about-enough injury is Mr. David Edwards. David Edwards is the starting left guard. Has been pretty much the whole season. There's uh, about 150-ish, 160-so snap that have gone to somebody other than J- David Edwards. So um, he is the guy. Not the best offensive lineman in the world, which really, that, that's another somewhat underrated narrative uh, in this whole thing. It's generally assumed that they have a very, very good offensive line. Again, this is very similar to the Tennessee Titans. They have a very good run-blocking offensive line. Their pass-blocking is suspect at best. So Andrew Whitworth, their left tackle, is one of the best in the game, period. You could argue he is the best. You know, 90 overall pass-blocking grade, zero sacks on the season, one hit, 10 hurries is all he's given up. Um, and then basically an elite run blocking grade. I mean, it's very, very similar to David Bakhtiari's grade. That's how good Andrew Whitworth is. Then you come over to left guard and David Edwards, the guy that is injured, may play, probably will, but he's hurt. We'll see what happens there. Um, he's given up three sacks, six hits, 13 hurries, 22 total pressures on the season. 22, that's a lot. 
He has a 64 pass blocking grade. His run blocking grade isn't much better, but like a lot of these offensive linemen, he's a better run blocker than a pass blocker. 64 pass blocking grade is not great. Then you look at their center, Austin Blythe. 74 overall run blocking grade is solid. That's He's good. Pass blocking, 54. He's given up four sacks, eight hits, 17 hurries. He's given up as many sacks, I believe, as Corey Lindsley has given up total pressures, which is four. Austin Blythe has given up 29. So he can move people, but if, if the goal is to drop back and, and protect the quarterback, he's not very good at that. You've got the right guard, Austin Corbett, almost exactly the same. He's got a 75 run blocking grade and a 61 pass blocking grade. He's given up 24 pressures on the season. Then right tackle Rob Havenstein, another very good tackle, but again, he's almost entirely a run blocker. 82.2 overall run blocking grade is one of the best in football. 69 pass blocking grade is clearly better than just about everybody else, excluding the left tackle. But it's still not good. He's given up five sacks, seven hits, 22 hurries, 34 total pressures. That's terrible. I mean, that's really bad. That's tied for 15th worst among all tackles um, in football. Now, it also should be noted that um, their left tackle, Andrew Whitworth, has missed about half the season, and he still has a lingering issue. So he's, he's very good, but, I mean, he's played 600 snaps. Uh, Joseph Noteboom, who is probably the guy that will fill in at left guard if uh, – if Mr. David Edwards is not going to play, Joseph Noteboom has played left tackle about as many snaps as uh, Andrew Whitworth has, 678 compared to 547. So again, I, I think it's very notable because it's it's an offensive line that gets way more credit than it deserves because it, it's good at what it's built to do, but it's very bad at doing that other thing, which is, again, similar to the Titans. If our goal is to simply run the ball and play some play action, they can get their job done. If they have to actually drop back and throw, which is why, guaranteed, again, this is going to be a very similar plan to the Titans. At least that's what I would think that they should do. Last time I thought I had a pretty good idea of what the game plan for the Bears should be, and I was way off. They completely abandoned the plan that they had for the Titans and did something else. But the goal, I mean, and really this is every defensive coordinator's dream, but especially in games like this, the goal is third and long. Because now the, the games are over, right? We know you're not running. You're not going to bother with play action. You're going you're gonna to probably load up in the shotgun. You're going to spread out your wide receivers and probably put a tight end out wide. You're going to send them down the field and hope that you can get somebody open before these pass rushers get home, and these guys are just pinning their ears back because they're coming. And you want that because not only do you trust your guys, but you know this offensive line is not built for this. The quarterback is not built for this. The team is not built for this. I mean, no team is really built for that. Everybody wants to be in third and short. You're, you're, you're gearing toward that, but especially the Rams do not want that. So again... It's worth noting. Also questionable is Mr. Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup is actually the second highest offensive player uh, in terms of PFF grade behind Andrew Whitworth. So not having Cooper Cup is a pretty big hit. The next highest graded wide receiver they have is Robert Woods, who is their ninth highest graded guy. The difference in grade is an 81 and a 71. It's a pretty big drop off. I know statistically it doesn't seem like that big of a difference. In fact, you might even say Robert Woods is better when you factor in Cooper Cup has what? 100 more yards, but uh, four less touchdowns, seven compared to three. But again, based on what PFF is saying, he's doing a better job of, you know, doing his job, running routes, whatever. He's just the better wide receiver of the group. So again, Cooper Cup is expected to be okay. He's expected to play and all that. That was pretty much immediate, like same day they said, no, he'll be fine, he'll play. But again, it is a knee injury. As much as they talked about, well, he's going to be fine, he didn't practice on Tuesday. He didn't practice on Wednesday. He didn't practice on Thursday. He's questionable for the game. So we can talk up, well, he's fine. He's going to play all we want. 
Dude didn't practice all week with a knee injury. You want to try to play that down, that's fine. I'm, I'm calling that nonsense. Right? Two guys, we were told, they're fine and we're overblowing this. Neither of them played Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. Aaron Donald's the only one that practiced on Thursday in a limited fashion. They're banged up, man. I mean, again, everybody is. Even the Packers who had a bye week are still kind of banged up. But these guys are fresh off a pretty brutal football game. And the worst part for the Rams is a lot of these injuries came late, right? They were relatively healthy until what the fourth quarter. Um, and then the only other guy to talk about here who is officially out for the week is Terrell Lewis. I mentioned how they don't really have the best pass rushers in the world. Um, Terrell Lewis is one of the guys that is off the edge. It is a pretty big hit. I mean, he is one of the, let's see, you've got, I mean, he's, he's actually the highest graded pass rusher that they have. He has 11 pressures on 92 attempts, which is a small sample size, but that is above 10%. He was out early in the season, but he's been playing largely the, the second half, again, in a, in a rotational fashion. The other big hit for them is that he is one of the few guys, and I think I mentioned this when I kind of went through their team, he's one of the few guys that's actually really good as a run defender. So when they rotate guys in, depend, so, so Leonard Floyd is going to be your every down edge rusher, right? He's the guy that always stays out there. But then you kind of mix and match things depending on the situation. So you might get your speed guys out there on third and long, on you know more running situations, maybe on first down, third and shortish, whatever. You'd put Terrell Lewis out there because he's one of your best run defenders on the entire team, especially off the edge. But he also has some pass rush prowess. He's not playing. So, again, I know he didn't play all that much, so Rams fans will probably play it down, but he, he did grade out as one of the better guys. He has been playing more consistently down the stretch. Um, he is officially out with that. The next highest-graded pass rusher they have is Leonard Floyd, obviously. I shouldn't say obviously, I guess, but um, he is their number one guy. He's played just about every single snap. He has 52 pressures on 524 attempts, which is basically exactly 10%, which, again, is not that great. So there's going to be a lot of hype about he's a very good pass rusher. He obviously had a great week last week, so that's fresh in everybody's mind, makes everybody super panic. And obviously he can be a dangerous guy, but for the season, he's been meh. Um, 66 run defending grade is just, you know, it, it is what it is. It's average. It's mediocre. After that, you got a guy by the name of Mr. Justin Hollins. He's sort of uh, Terrell Lewis light. He's nowhere near as good of a pass rusher. 11 pressures on 145 attempts, so we're talking 8 9%, whatever that is. Not good at all. Uh, he does have a 71 overall run defense grade, so he is, again, similar to Terrell Lewis, competent in that way. He's probably going to fill that void and be that guy. But, again, he's not much of a pass rusher. So, And this is part of the reason why the Rams' defense is not perfect right I, I can't put them up there with the legion of boom or those types of defenses because although they have some really key components and they're very good in those areas the guys off the edge are just kind of so-so and if you looked at dusty evely's breakdown for example and and i hope you watched yesterday as the uh as coach hahn went over the offense but you're going to see him go over the defense a little bit today at six o'clock central pack daddy nfl is the youtube channel get a chance to see his perspective on some of this as, as well as the packers offense he's going to cover which is going to be really exciting to see him do a breakdown of the packers offense but i know dusty did a little bit about the uh the rams defense and, and one of the ways to attack him and a lot of it had to do with the edges and actually, Coach Hahn had talked about that a little bit as well, and I think that was actually in our private group chat. But he was more or less just talking about why you, you can't play man all day long. All right, everybody's worried about Jalen Ramsey just manning up Devontae all day and shutting him down. Can't do that. Nobody can play man all day long. I mentioned that on the podcast, but he more or less just drew up a, a simple example of a play you can run if they're just going to keep running man. And essentially, you just have you just vacate an, an entire area 
by putting Devontae in motion, take Jalen off that side, and you got nobody to the entire that entire side of the the field, and you just run, or you could throw to that direction. And interesting, interestingly enough, I think it was the same day or the very next day, Dusty came out with his passing chronicles or whatever it's called breakdown, and showed a lot of this is how you beat him. You attack the edges. And that it, it does make a lot of sense because their talent is their corners, but their corners are good cover guys. They're not good against the run. The safeties are mediocre. The linebackers are mediocre. The edge rushers are mediocre. So if, if you start putting your guys in matchups that they have to win, right? And, and it was funny because they even talked about in our little group chat, uh, somebody had mentioned something about you get a guy up to block the safety. And he's like, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not worried about getting a guy up to block the safety. If I put my running back in a one-on-one situation with a safety and he can't win that matchup, I get a new running back. Right, so, you, so the point is, the Packers want to put themselves in optimal situations of, if it's one-on-one, we can win this matchup. And again, they have really elite guys, but they're really elite guys in certain capacities. Uh, Aaron Donald has weaknesses as a run defender. Again, it's overblown to say he's bad at it, but but he can be vulnerable, especially if he's super aggressive. And that's that's true of everybody. A very aggressive defense can be attacked if they're too aggressive, right? That's when you start seeing like screens and those kinds of things because they start getting real deep into the backfield and it's like, all right, you need to cool it. Again, the the, the corners are real good cover guy. What happens when you get the these really good run blocking wide receivers and put them in situations where we start running around to the edges and force the guys on the outside to start making plays? Our, our guys are better blockers than they are run defenders. That's just a reality. Jalen Ramsey is not a linebacker. He's not built that way, and nobody—and that's the thing. Nobody cares when they say he's—he's he's maybe the best corner in football. Which, you know, granted, that's not true, but he's—he's he's up there. The, if you went to somebody that said that and said, "Yeah, but how good is he at uh, at at stopping a running back?" They're gonna laugh in your face because nobody cares. The point is, though, the the Packers are gonna care and the Rams are gonna care if we start running to the outside and force it, and we do that. That's why—that's exactly why Matt Lafleur emphasizes run blocking wide receivers. As stupid as that seems. Because you get into these situations and we force those kinds of mismatches. That's a mismatch. We're going to force you to turn your cornerback into a linebacker. And you're not drafting guys to do that. We're trusting that Alan Lazard is going to block guys like Jalen Ramsey and Troy Hill out of existence. Troy Hill is terrible in that capacity. Great cover guy. He's a, he comes on blitzes and things. He does a pretty good job. But man, against the run, as a ta- he's one of the worst tacklers on this team. You think we're not going to take Jamal Williams or, or Dylan or even Aaron Jones and just run right at that guy? Of course we will, if we can, if we can get that that situation. So that's the point. They're, they're very good in certain ways, but that's why as an offense, you have to dictate to them. You can't let them dictate to you. We have to set the term. If we put ourselves in a situation where we have to drop back and stop Aaron Donald from getting to uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers, and we have to f- get Devontae to try to just run away from Jalen Ramsey, we're setting ourselves up to fail. Not because it's impossible. Not because, well, Corey Lindsley will never be able to handle Aaron Donald and Devontae's not good enough. It's not about good enough. It's about don't be stupid. They have weaknesses. Attack their weaknesses. Don't attack their strengths. That doesn't make any sense. Don't be too proud. That was Mike McCarthy's whole thing. I'm not going to scheme guys away. I'm not going to scheme this or that. You, you just win. I expect you to just go out and win. That's not to say he didn't have some kind of things drawn, you know, whatever. But in general, that was the that was the expectation. You go out and you make plays. That's it. I call a route because I call a route. And yeah, there's going to be a guy following you. You have to just get away from him. Just run away. And if you can't do it, then you suck. Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> that's not, fortunately, that's not how Matt LaFleur operates. And we shouldn't expect that to be the game plan. He knows full well that this defense is not perfectly competent in every single way. And he's going to try to exploit that. And that's the, that's the biggest matchup that we have is the fact of the matter is 
they have a lot more weaknesses offensively and defensively than the pack. They might have more elite talent in certain areas than we do. They now have a much better left tackle. They probably have a better right tackle. Overall, maybe a better run-blocking offensive line. Clearly a better pass rusher than anybody in football has right now. A better corner group, right? So you, you can look at these these elite groups or, or people, but I don't think we have as many actual holes and weaknesses. You look at their offensive line and how many bad pass blockers they have. You look at the weaknesses of their edge rushers, their linebackers. I mean, their highest graded linebacker on this entire team is their 17th highest graded defensive player. In order, it's defensive lineman, safety, corner, D-tackle, corner, corner, edge, tackle, edge, safety, edge, safety, edge, tackle, edge, tackle, linebacker. That's how far you have to go before you get to a single linebacker that can do anything. And the only reason he's not lower is because he has a very high pass rushing grade. His run defense grade is in the 50s. His tackling grade is in the 50s. His coverage grade is in the 50s. That's Troy Reader, their best linebacker. After that, it's safety, safety, tackle, edge, corner, edge, tackle, safety, and then linebacker, linebacker. The two worst players. Their linebackers are garbage. Don't tell me they don't have weaknesses. Of course they do. Micah Kaiser has a 40 overall grade. Kenny Young has a 37.8 overall grade. His run defense grade is a 32. None of these guys can cover. Zero of their linebackers have any coverage ability. So, again, if you play into their strengths, you're done. And and, and that's the Rams' whole goal, and this is what they've been successful doing, is forcing you. You don't have a choice. We're going to dictate to you. But, again, the benefit of having a number one offense is you can be super multiple. We have great running backs, multiple running backs, so we can do two running backs. We got running backs that can catch. We got running backs that can run. We got an offensive line that can pass block. They can run block. We got a quarterback that can do everything. We've got wide receivers that are great route runners. We've got big wide receivers. We got fast wide receivers in MVS. We got tight ends. We got wide receivers that can block. They can run routes. We got a true number one wide receiver. There, there's so many things we can do. We have a better chance of being able to dictate to them how to play than maybe they would against some other team. All right, other teams, it's easier to isolate a certain thing and take it away. It's going to be a lot harder with the Packers. They got just a massive bag of tricks. It's just hard to to dictate to them. Now, it has been done in the past. Obviously, Tampa did it. They dictated to the Packers. They just completely shut down anything and everything that they were able to do, and that was that. But in general, it's not an easy task, and and nobody's been able to do it recently. I mean, the last time the Packers' offense didn't do well, I mean, you could say they struggled against the Colts if you wanted to, but that was 31 points. I mean, I guess Carolina, 24 points. But, I mean, you know, you go all the way back to the Colts game, 31, 41, 30, 31, 24, 40, 35. I mean, 35 against the Bears, 40 against Tennessee. I don't know what exactly was going on in Carolina, but, um, I mean, that that should scare a lot of people. The Bears don't have a number one defense, but they have a lot of similar attributes. Khalil Mack is the number one edge rusher in football via PFF. He's no joke. He's an absolute threat. Nobody talks about him because his sack numbers aren't where they are, which just it just annoys me, which I, I guess I can't fault everybody. It's not like I'm some super genius. I'm just reading PFF because I pay for it, right? That's not, it doesn't take some special insight, but it's also annoying when, you know, me- media members or whatever won't talk about a guy because his sack numbers aren't there, even though his pressure numbers are incredible. It's like somebody else kind of came out and not trying to trash him, but he compared Aaron Donald's stats to Zadarius' stats and basically said, look, they're the same guy because they have similar sack numbers and tackle numbers. Look at their pressure numbers, for crying out loud. Aaron Donald is like 110. It's the, the official number is 104 pressures on the season and 17 sacks via PFF. Um, Zadarius, 51 pressures, 13 sacks. So, yeah, the sacks are kind of close. He has half as many pressures. Half. It's not even... I mean, this is actually a bad year for Zadarius. That's why the whole, like, he got snubbed or what... 
I, don't know, I shouldn't go down that whole rabbit hole again. Last year he got snubbed. This year he got in because everybody knows his name now and his sack numbers are high. I don't think he should have got in. I'm just saying. 51 pressures is not good. 51 pressures on 548 attempts is less than 10%. He's not having a good year. But he's got 13 sacks, and now that everybody knows his name and he has the sack numbers, now they can put him in. So whatever. It's retroactive. They put him in when he should have put him in last year or whatever. But he is not Aaron Donald. It's it's That's beyond silly. And tackles, give me a break. We, we spent how many years laughing at the tackle stat because Blake Martinez led the league in tackles pretty much every year. Why do we still talk about tackles? It's the one... I have a lot of pet peeves on my YouTube channel, but I don't know how many times I've said, this guy isn't great, we need to upgrade them and draft somebody, and they're like, are you kidding me? He's got more tackles than everybody on our team. <laughs> so? So what? What does that mean? I don't I don't care. Why do I care? I don't care. That's stupid. So, uh, look, bottom line, and we're going to do another uh, no-ad day because I'm technically over. Very late start today. By the way, we'll, we'll get to all that stuff later. I don't want to interrupt my thought process. Again, any given Sunday, anything could happen. The Packers could come out completely flat. Um, and if they do, that's on them, right? I mean, if they did that last year. They played the San Francisco 49ers. Their head wasn't in it. There was something weird about them going to the West Coast. Every single time, it's like they just didn't... You know, there was that whole weird thing about, like, we had to leave a day late because they didn't trust the guys to be responsible. And it, it just felt like a team that really wasn't mature enough to, to handle it. Everything about this year doesn't seem that way. And maybe maybe... As weird as it sounds, maybe coronavirus is helping that. I, I remember seeing some social media stuff last year, these guys going out, and clearly they were drinking, and a lot of stuff that they didn't need to be doing. They can't really do that. Assuming they take COVID seriously and they actually are staying away from the, the party scene and all that stuff, it kind of forces them to stay out of that arena. I mean, literally in some cases, David Bakhtiari isn't going to the Bucks games chugging beers anymore. But I, I just, you know, one in particular sticks out of my mind, the, uh, you know, Jair and Kevin King were kind of out doing something, and it's like, these guys are clearly intoxicated. And then, of course, there's Zedarius taking a group of guys down to Chicago. They're coming back to Wisconsin after a big party with weed in the car. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just, it's stuff like that where football isn't number one. I'm not, you know, whatever. Guys, they're young, they're rich, they're going to have fun. But the point is, there's, you, you, you can't really do two things at once. Because while you're doing that, some guy is just grinding right now. Some guy, like Rashawn, is the one thing I always respected about Rashawn Gary. The guy is always just the hardest working guy ever. There's always a guy that's just hungry and working while you're out partying. The Packers haven't been doing a lot of partying that I'm aware of. And I'm just saying, maybe it's forcing them to... Like, look, I, I no, no, granted, they're playing video games all day long. We know that. <laughs> Hearing about that. Like, hey, I just played uh, whatever it's called with uh, Kevin King last night. But... um I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm just hoping that that is part of it because they do seem to be much more focused and intentional, right? The, the step Jair took is incredible. The growth of Amos and, and Savage is incredible. And again, all the potential's there, but you got to grab it. And it takes a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of energy. And if you're not going to put in the time and the work and the energy, you're never going to get there. Or, or maybe instead of getting there in, in two months, you get there in two years. But they've had a lot of time to just focus on their craft, and it's really paid off. And it's turned this team that, that really didn't add very many people, it just grew. right? Aaron Rodgers has been there, obviously. He's not a new addition, but he really just was grinding and studying and learning the system and embracing the system. And I, I talk, I mean, I went and looked it up because I wanted to find a clip of it so I can play and brag about it, talking about how this was always a possibility. right? I mentioned how what happened in Denver with Elway. 
how when you get a Hall of Fame quarterback that embraces the system, it really can take him to new heights. And that's what happened with Aaron Rodgers. Jamal has grown. Devontae somehow got better. I don't know how that's possible, but he got better again. Lazard has has grown. He's not a, a true elite wide receiver, but the, the little things that he does, on top of being a competent and pretty solid wide receiver, consistent contributor, you know, in the in the blocking game and everything else, it's it's great. MVS has gotten, but he's still got some issues, but clearly he's made strides. Billy Turner is a lot better than he was last year. Last year he was just bad. Corey Lindsley, best year of his career. David Bakhtiari, arguably one of the better years of his career. Defensive line, I don't know what's going on with them. So Darius Preston, Kenny all seem to have gotten worse. Rashawn took a step. And again, he's going to be a massive factor because, again, he's one that I'm really focused on. He's had two elite games in a row, as I mentioned. That's, that's, you know, when that happened with Savage, it kind of set off some alarm bells. Like, look, everybody has kind of, you know, especially when you're that much of a freak. Rashawn and, and Savage, big part of the reason they were drafted where they were drafted are there, is because they're physical freaks. So guys like that can have flashy days, but can you be consistent? Savage has now been consistent for a while. I didn't want to jump on it too early because it's like, you know, now, okay, now he's had, he's had one, good ga- one good game. He's had two good games. Eh, then he had a bad one, but then he had a good one, so that's three out of four, you know, and it's over the course of the second half of the season. Now he's, what, the second best safety behind only Adrian Amos? It's not a fluke anymore. Like, this is just a real thing. We have the best safety group in football, and I don't think it's going to get worse. Again, because of the potential they had by bringing in the safeties, uh, the Minnesota Vikings defensive backs coach. I'd, I'd said all along, every safety that goes to Minnesota becomes a freak. I don't know how to explain it. And if these guys can embrace it, if they can really do what, what happened in Minnesota, they have the potential. Then they knocked it out in a half a year. And here we are. Jair, obviously, right? For, for two years, we've heard how he has the potential to be the number one, but can he ever actually get there? And he did. I mean, listen, just statistically, this shouldn't be happening this often. Right, very often we hear about guys that have potential. Right, go read my comments in my draft uh, on on my draft YouTube. Everybody has a comment about, well, he's got the uh, he's got the potential. He's going to be great one day. He's going to be great one, especially corners. We got a young guy. He's he's like the 54th best corner in football, and they're just furious. He's going to be so good. He's all over the field. He has four interceptions on the season. You're a dummy. So yeah, but he was kind of bad. Well, his potential. He's going to be number one. Everybody's got a guy. That could be, should be, hopefully will be a number one. We said it about Savage, we said it about Jair, and basically they're like top of their class right now. Top of their craft. The number one corner and the number, I mean, I'm kind of messing with the numbers a little bit. Jair's number one for the season, Savage is number two for the second half of the season, but whatever. It's close enough that you, you really want to call me out on that? I guess you can. So massive kudos to the team in general, the coaching staff which, which has, has proven to be an elite coaching staff. But beyond that, it really does take the players embracing it and working really hard. Because the fact of the matter is it's, 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 these are new things. And, and if you're going to learn a new thing from a new defensive back coach with all his wrinkles and the new way of, of, of playing the position, it's a lot of work to learn that stuff and to really embrace it and then go execute it on the, on the field. And uh, it's, I think it's a great sign that these guys have taken these strides. Because it really just goes to show a team that has embraced all of this. And, and you know, what's so different about last year? That's what's different about last year. Look how much better the defense has gotten. Just imagine if we had, you know, a little bit of better pass rush. And even that is, is slightly overstated, especially, you know, look at the Bears game. No chance anybody's getting to the quarterback when Mitch gets the ball out of his hand in 1.24 seconds. That's just, that's never going to happen. 
the guy's playing hot potato out there. I mean, it's like he's barely even touching the ball into his hands, and he just flips it out to somebody. So, bottom line, I, I, I just think that this is a team that has fully embraced um, being great this year. And a lot of guys have, have, have I mean, let's, let's face it, they've made a lot of money because of this. Jair Alexander was always going to get paid. He's going to get mega paid because of what he's doing right now. Devontae is earning himself a lot of money. He's going to get an extension probably next year from the Green Bay Packers, which, by the way, is a way that they're going to free up a ton of money. Uh, I think he's going to get a real big payday from the Green Bay Packers. Savage, whenever his time comes, if he can continue doing this, he's going to be really well paid. And again, Rashawn, Rashawn is the next guy in line, right? Everybody else has has hit those markers, and Rashawn is right there. He's the guy with all the potential, absolute physical freak. He's one of those guys where he's a human being that shouldn't be able to move the way he does. At his size, nobody should be able to move like that. He can. He's special, right? But he's, he's got to learn the nuance. He's got to understand, and he's a hard worker. He's the next guy that needs to be able to take that step to consistency. And again, he's been elite two weeks in a row. That's not a small thing. It was interesting. I was looking at Tom Brady. He got an elite grade for the third week in a row last week. He was given an elite grade again. He has not had three elite grades in a row since 2007. That's how rare that is, by the way. Tom Brady, who's had, I mean, he's been dominant for a very long time has not had three elite games in a row since 2007. Rashawn has two. So again, it's, it's, we can play the game while it's only two games. Yeah, but that's that's big, man. That's not, that's not a small thing. Getting it once is great. Getting it twice in a row means you're, you're figuring something out. I'm sure he still has a ways to go, but man, you look at the up-end potential of this guy, the top-end potential, it's unbelievable. And we need him. No question about it. Again, he's been one of our... He, he might arguably be our best pass rusher this season. We don't see him very much, but you look at the numbers, the numbers would indicate he might be our best pass rusher. Now, I think he's too inconsistent. Um, again, it's it's a question of when you're not getting the pressures, what's going on on a snap-to-snap basis, understanding your assignments and, and not messing things up. Right? There's a lot of intricate things going on in Petten's system, and, and the most important thing, if you want to play, is you have to understand every single nuance of that play. And I think Zadarius and Preston understand it better than Rashawn does, and also, again, Preston is much more of a flexible type of guy. They can drop him in coverage. As much as we hate that, that's a part of his system, part of him being able to confuse the offense and not really knowing what's coming. If Zadarius and Rashawn are out there and Preston's off the field, neither of those guys are dropping. They know that with 99.9% certainty, which then, you know, process of deduction, you can kind of start to figure out what the defense is and isn't doing. And it, it just, just by virtue of the fact that we can't do it, puts us in a, a tenuous spot, which by the way, if you want to look at something for the draft, and I'm not saying they're going to look at edge rusher really high, because I think uh, they're still going to have Rashawn and uh, Zadarius, but at some point, finding a Preston replacement, because, again, Preston is a guy that is a, a, a big-body guy that seems almost identical to Zadarius and Rashawn, but the big difference is he's got some coverage experience. So be something worth looking at, I guess. Anyways, I am uh, massively over time, but um, I say all that to say that, that I'm, I'm just I'm confident, and if nothing else, I'm, I'm beyond grateful. And we should be excited about the future, regardless of what happens tomorrow. And I know it's, it's, we don't want to even think about that thing that might happen that I don't even want to say, but... You know, there are, there are a lot of teams, you look at Tampa Bay, they're on the verge of collapse because Tom Brady is not going to be playing for very much longer. Maybe, maybe he's going to play until he's 50, I don't know. The Saints are basically done after this year. I don't think he's coming back. They don't have a quarterback, um, 
and and a lot of that defense and offensive talent is simply going to get wasted unless they get really lucky draft a quarterback very late in the in you know like Kyle Trask and he ends up being a great quarterback or something maybe unlikely though the Colts are doomed they are, they lost their left tackle already in Costanzo they're about to lose their quarterback TY Hilton is probably going bye-bye um just when they're about to to hit their stride they've got a lot of massive holes to figure out they need a number one wide receiver they need a quarterback and they need a left tackle they might be able to run the ball fairly well and have a a pretty competent defense but that's i mean they're not a playoff team until they figure that stuff out um in terms of teams that that have some long-term success in their future the packers have to be one of them because a lot of their talent is really young talent and and the, the ability of the packers to do a good job of what I keep saying these other teams need to do and and find replacements before it becomes an issue. Look at the offensive line. They're building the offensive line as it deteriorates so that it's not a problem. They do a very good job of that. So anyways, I really got to go. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Friday. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.